Hello and welcome to the FinTech Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm joined by John O'Rourke, Vice President of Private Banking and Wealth Advisor at First American Bank. In this episode, we will be discussing how to retire comfortably and having an open conversation about the topic. As someone who hasn't thought about retirement as I'm still kind of at my first job, I definitely have a lot to learn and I'm sure that John can bring a lot of value to our listeners. So firstly, I asked John, could you please introduce yourself and tell me a little bit um, about your background in finance? Hello, Emily. How are you today? I'm doing brilliant. Thanks for asking. How are you? Wonderful. Well, I'm doing wonderful here in sunny South Florida. So, so happy to be a part of this. I, uh, my background, I think, is a little, uh, it may be a little interesting to, uh, to your listeners out there. Um, I've been in banking and finance uh, in two different careers in my life. So uh, when I was about uh, your age and getting involved in my career, I spent close to 10 years in private banking and wealth management. And then I left and I went into the private sector. So I ran uh, my own family business for 20 plus years. Uh, and then uh, years back, uh, after I had you know, finished that goal and completed what I wanted to complete, I came back into the fold of wealth uh, management and private banking. And I think at the end of the day, it puts me in a really interesting perspective because I, I understand what it is to be an entrepreneur and to run your own business and to deal with all those things. And at the same time, uh, I, I bring a, maybe a little bit of a, uh, a different role, if you will, when it comes to understanding customers and uh, uh, investing in the markets and, uh, and the importance of putting away for future. Uh, and we can actually, when we talk today, I want to talk a little bit about what some of the, uh, the younger generation is doing that's a little bit different than what my generation did. And I think it's fascinating and exciting. And um, you don't really need to wait until you're uh, 65, 70, 75 years old to, uh, to retire. You can do it much, much sooner. There are ways to go about it. So we can explore that as well. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because um, as somebody who is younger myself and kind of just getting into their first salary job and thinking about these things, um, um, I kind of want to touch on that because the difference between, you know, Generation Z and kind of others is, I'm sure, quite monumental in terms of um, how we think about retiring. Um, the first question is, how much do I need in order to retire comfortably? So I'm kind of thinking about um, our future here and I'm asking this personally as well, you know, from my perspective and, you know, people my age and the audience here, um, how do we kind of think about retiring and, and what do we need to think about in order to our first job? Sure. Well, you know, let's define what retirement is because it's really changed. Um, you know, historically speaking, uh, we think of retirement as, you know, when you're old and, and, and when you're young, it's so far out there that it's very difficult to get a, a grasp of. Um, but things have changed. Uh, they, they really have over time. And um, you don't need to wait until you're, you're, you're too old to enjoy your life uh, to, to retire. You can restructure things uh, and make some sacrifices and investments early on, which could enable you to quote unquote retire uh, in your early 30s if you want. Um, and there's plenty of people that are that are doing it uh, nowadays. So I would say that you know for some people retirement is going to be um, you know working for the next you know if they're 25, they're going to work for the next 40 years and finish out when they're 65 years old and they want to have enough money so that they can go and sit on the beach and and rub their toes in the sand and, and water and uh, and whatnot. And then there's other folks that look at that and say, no, what, I, what I'd like is I'd like to be able to create some financial security uh, so that I can get to a point where I don't need to work anymore. Uh, uh, perhaps I can at that point go and pursue 
something that I really want to do, that I really love, that I really enjoy, and and having to make money at it doesn't matter anymore because I've got I've got a pile of money over here that's that's earning on its own, uh, it, uh, its own activity without me having to to produce it. So um, I think when we talk about retirement, keep that in mind. And some of the things that we can talk about today, you don't have to wait until you're until you're much older, you can, you can set your goals and objectives out for maybe a 10, a 15 or a 20 year period and not a 40 year period, if you will. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure retirement means um, different things to different people as well. Yeah. Um, so as an example, kind of putting myself in a situation, what do you say to people who are kind of struggling with um, kind of credit card bills and loans? If they're a student, they might have student debt, car loan and mortgages um what do you say to people who question how will i ever manage to save up for retirement when i have these kind of debts and struggles already yeah and and clearly that's a challenge there's no doubt about it i i what i would say is that uh and again to just back up on talking about the retirement first of all trying to figure out you know what it is you want to do what's your end game right why are you working why are you getting up in the morning and doing what you, if you get up in the morning and you love doing what you do and it's a hobby uh, uh, and you get paid for it i mean that's a dream right that's what we we all want but the fact of the matter or the reality is is that most of us you know that that have worked hard um, have debts i mean we have uh, student debt um, uh, we've got uh, a mortgage we may have a car payment um, credit cards i've got to tell you is the the, the number one debt out there it's the, the biggest challenge that people have I'll, you know we always talk about saving and how important that is and we'll get to that in a minute but i'm gonna i want to share something with all of you and it's called the rule of 72 so the rule of 72 basically says that if you take any uh, uh percentage rate and you divide that into 72 then that number will double right in that amount of years so let me give you an example so let's say if we have six percent if we do 6% and we divide 72 in it, it means that in 12 years, okay, that money will double. So if we're investing $1,000 and we're getting a 6% rate of return on it, we know that that can be $2,000 in 12 years. Okay, that's great. But let's look at it the other way. Let's look at it from a debt standpoint because it works the other way. So if you've got credit card debt and you've got, you're paying, let's say 21%, that's pretty, typical right on that credit card debt trying to pay that down that credit card debt will double in over just over three years 3.4 years so when i talk to people about their debts the first thing i say is look get out a piece of paper and write down what it is you owe and then let's kind of put it in the order of importance and just kind of rule of thumb for people credit card debt you want to go by the highest uh, percentage rate that you're paying so credit card debt is typically the highest um, your next one would be your student loan that's typically the second one. And here in America, a uh, student loan cannot be forgiven by bankruptcy. So you're going to owe that money no matter what. Uh, and you typically have up to 20 years to pay that. And in some cases it can be forgiven whatever the balance is after that. But that's a 20 year period that you're carrying that, that for. Average student debt is between six to 8%, so, or four to 8%. So if we figured 6%, that student debt as you're paying it is gonna double in 12 years. Um, and it goes on and on. So I kind of order things uh, with folks and I tell them to begin working on focusing on knocking out the debt that they have with the highest interest rate. And once you, once you knock out your credit card, then move on to the next one. And if the next one's student loan, work to knock that one out. Um, I'll give you a little tidbit because there, there may be some folks out there that have a mortgage. So right now, 
mortgage rates are historically low and they have been for quite some time. Um, this is my personal opinion. If your mortgage rate is at 4% or below, you keep the mortgage and you pay it. I recommend doing a 15 year mortgage if you can versus a 30, just because of the amount of the cost of interest is so astronomical over that time. But if your mortgage rate is greater than 4%, try to refinance that, try to bring it, bring it down. And if you can't do everything you possibly can to accelerate that and then get that paid off over time. Um, and then from there, you would take a look at your auto loan and any other kind of debts that you have out there. But you want to put them again in order of the highest interest rate that you're paying down to the lowest and kind of begin hacking away at, at the debt. And kind of um, following from that and thinking about savings as well, um, what do you recommend to people um, who are looking to save? You know, should it be small amounts over a long period of time? Um, larger chunks of money, especially um, if we consider that people do have these sorts of debts? Great question. And, you know, we just talked about debt, right? So if you've got debt, how can you save when you have debt? So first and foremost, let's whittle your debt down. Let's get that away. There's another thing called an emergency fund that you, that you want to work on creating. And that's typically, you know, if you're single, you want to be able to set aside about six months worth of living expenses. Uh, if you're married and you're both earning approximately three months worth of living expenses. And that's another topic that we can go into at another time. But when we talk about saving and we begin saving for retirement, again, it's, it's all in the numbers, right? So if you're 25 years old and let's say you save on average, you're able to figure out a way to put $5,000 a month away in a savings account. And you do that every year. So you don't, you never get a raise. You never make any more money that, it's, which is not realistic, right? But let's just kind of pretend that that's the way it goes. And so it's just $5,000 a year. Uh, you can break that into monthly payments um, as you get paid. Uh, you know, at the end of 40 years, if we figured that your rate of return that you earned, the interest that you earned on that was 5% compounded, and remind me to talk about compounding because that's so important, you would look at about the end of your career at 65 years old, you'd have about $600,000 sitting there in the bank. Now, let's say that you wait because you're spending maybe a little bit beyond your means. You're not living below your means. You're having a good time. You're enjoying yourself. And you say, you know, I'm going to wait until I get a raise. I get a promotion. And, and time goes on. And now you're 45 years old and you haven't done so much. So it's, it's 20 years later. And now you start. So you start at 45 years old. And now you're going to save three times as much per year, $15,000 but you've got 20 years, right? Until you're 65. So we say $15,000 a year, we're going to figure that there's no raise, there's no increase in salary, there's no anything, it's just a flat rate. Uh, and after the 20 year period, figuring out that, again, a very, mon, uh, a very minimal uh, return of 5% compounded, you'd have slightly less than $500,000. So by waiting that 20 year period and, and more than tripling the amount that you're saving with the same rate, you'll never catch up. And that's the challenge that most people run into. So what I always tell people, start saving as early as you possibly can, um, right off the bat. And if you have the opportunity to take advantage of uh, retirement plans that are out there, they're called defined contribution plans. A 401k is one that a lot of people are familiar with. Take advantage of that. They're, they're huge. They, um, uh, again, I'm speaking to the United States with what we offer on that. But many companies nowadays offer 
a 401k plan. They do, a lot of them do what's called a match uh, up to a certain percentage, could be four or 5%. So by participating in that plan, you're able to save on a tax deferred basis. And the first four or 5% that you're putting into that plan is matched. So if you put in a dollar, the company puts in a dollar up to that percentage. So that's 100% rate of return guaranteed first year on your money. So it's crucially important to take care of that and participate. So what I tell people is if you have debt out there and you have all these, these things and you have a plan like that available, start, start right away, work yourself up to a minimum of the match uh, and have it taken out of your paycheck. It's pre-tax and you won't feel it. Uh, and you'll, you'll thank me for that piece of advice years from now. Amazing. And I, I think as well, it's brilliant to have you here and kind of have your expertise. And I was wondering if I could kind of row your brain a little bit and ask if you have any um, tips on helping people save and kind of, is there anything you recommend? Obviously you mentioned there um, kind of the hundred percent being matched, which is amazing, obviously, but do you have anything else um, you'd like to share with our audience today? I think the most important thing um, is I'll, I'll I'll mention two things. Number one, there's a book out there uh, that's wonderful. It's been in the marketplace for the last year or so. It's called um, Quit Like a Millionaire. And it's written by a young lady named Christy Shen. And her and her husband, once they graduated college, they were able to retire by the time they were around 30 years old. They did it in nine years. And it's amazing how they did it. And what they did is they focused on, number one, living below their means. In their case, they lived way below their means, but they're not the only ones. There's lots of stories of young people that are able to do this. Um, so uh, focus on your savings. And you know, if you're trying to figure out you know, how much will I need, you know, let's, if we just keep it traditionally, um, how much will I need when I want to retire? Now, maybe that retirement, again, is 30 years from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now, what have you. It's really based upon your living expenses, right? So I reverse it. And I say, focus on your savings. So in other words, if you're saving 20 to 25% of your income, which may sound astronomical, and um, to some people it is, but once you get, once you've uh, increased your earnings and you're living below your earnings, this is very possible. It's very realistic. It'll take you about 25 years to accomplish the amount of money that you need. If you save 30 to 35%, you can whittle it down to 20 years. And if you're really, really, really good, uh, at, at your career and your earnings and forcing away savings of 60 to 65%. And I know these numbers just sound off the charts, but if you do a little research, you'll find out there's a lot of people that can do this. Um, it'll take you about 10 years. So especially if you have a two income uh, family, uh, if you will. So it, it is very possible. And, and I tell folks to, to save early, save often, live below your means, uh, focus on a goal to get yourself to at least 20%, take advantage of any kind of, of defined contribution plan out there, whether it's a, a 401k, these are all opportunities for you to tuck money away to put it aside. And um, I think what it really comes down to is when we look at our, our spending, we all, if we just take the time to look at the money coming in and the money going out, we probably can clean up things a little bit. And you know what? If you're the one that loves that Starbucks coffee that costs three and a half bucks, you know, every day, don't cut that out. Enjoy that. Find something else that maybe is not as important to you and cut that out. If you love to travel, then you know what? Work that in your budget. If it's, you know, you need 
$3,000 a year to travel, then you work that into your budget and you save and then find somewhere else to pull the money from. It can definitely be done with a little bit of discipline. Um, and I think you can really have a much more enjoyable and fruitful life that way. Definitely. And I think it's, it's worth noting that um, living kind of like that and saving doesn't mean cutting out things you enjoy. So I think that's Absolutely. a really good point to make. Um, and you mentioned earlier, I believe the phrase compound interest or yeah. compounding interest. And I wanted you um, to kind of expand on this and kind of uh, explain to me what that means. Sure. Compounding is uh, another fascinating uh, thing with numbers and it's an opportunity that's available to all of us. So, and I always think, you know, for everybody, because they're hearing my voice right now. So I try to, I, I don't want to get so much into numbers, but I think numbers kind of speak the world, right? So just to make it very easy, compound interest is earning on your earnings. So if you put a thousand dollars into an account and let's say you earn 7%, over the next 30 years, I'm going to use a long period of time here. So, cause the number will really get nice. So thousand dollars at 7% over a 30 year period, and you put nothing else in it you just forget about it. All right. You'll have about 8,117 bucks at the end, $8,100 say. Now, if you put a thousand dollars away, but you earned 1% more, you earned 8%. All right. At the end of that 30 year period, you'd have almost $11,000. And what's going on here is that that interest is earning on the thousand. And so now your thousand becomes a thousand and one dollars, a thousand and two, a thousand and four. And it, it goes up slowly. And then you have the earnings on top of the earnings. Uh, it makes a, a huge dramatic difference. Um, the one thing that that's really important for people to understand when they're saving and they're, they're thinking about this, the difference between, let's say, seven and eight percent or nine and ten percent or four and five percent, it's it's 1%, right? But it's really not. It's way, way, way more than that. So the difference between 7% and 8% is really 35%. It's a 35% increase in your entire rate of return over time. So if you're going to, 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 to get that 1% more up to 8%, that would, that would be a slight difference, maybe a 14% jump, okay? But what does that really mean at the end of the day, that, that means that you're gonna get 35% more money over time. And the, the numbers get really, really big over time. I used the thousand dollar example, but add a couple of zeros to that. What if you, what if you got a little bit of an inheritance, you had hundred thousand dollars and you did that. Well, now you're looking at over $800,000, right? Well, what if you were able to, to have that hundred thousand dollars earn 8% instead of 7%? Well, now you're looking at almost $1.1 million. You're looking at, you know, over, $280,000 difference. So that compounding is really important. And I guess the, the point I would drive home on that is when you get your savings plan together, don't do it um, sporadically, do it consistently. Uh, we call that dollar cost averaging. So uh, for a lot of people, every time you get paid, pay yourself first. You are the most important one. Pay yourself before you pay your rent, before you pay your electric, before you pay your auto, your credit cards, anything pay yourself first and put it into an account that earns. And if you can do it on a pre-tax basis on one of those plans I talked to you about, to you about before, 401k, that's wonderful. Put it in there, you know, uh, put it into a, a, another savings account that'll get you, you know, a, a rate of return that's, that, that's a higher rate of return. Um, and that's what you wanna, 
want to focus on. But that compounding effect is crucial. And, and by dollar cost averaging it, doing it every time you're getting paid, feeding into the account, you, you're, you're juicing it up. Yeah, brilliant. I think um, it, it's funny because we do think 1% is so tiny, but um, relating it to different numbers, it can actually be quite a big a big deal, right? So oh, yeah. um, some a topic I want to kind of move on to now is kind of thinking about investing um, perhaps in things such as um, stock markets. Um, so um, I'm sure people ask you, you know, should I invest my money in a potential for long-term, long-term actual increase in my money? Um, I'm wondering what your kind of opinions are on this. Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's buckets of investment, right? So typically, first and foremost, we invest the most in ourselves, right? So, I, you know, I tell people, this is my opinion, you know, pick a career that you enjoy, but that you can earn a living at. And if it's not exactly what you want to do long-term, then make the sacrifices up front to be able to do what? Retire out early, right? Like we said, right? Get there. And you don't have to have all the money. You may be able to save enough money so that you can take a job that pays you half of what you were earning before, but you really love it. And, and you're fine with it because you got this bucket of money over there that's earning for you. I would say that first and foremost, really invest in yourself. Um, another bucket, if you, if you will, would be the, the, because of what we're talking about right now would be savings and putting that money aside. And then, you know, where do you put it? Well, we're talking about long-term investing here. So long-term five to seven years or longer. Um, and I would tell you that the, the stock market, uh, historically speaking, returns very nice rates of return primarily small companies. There may be companies that you're not so familiar with, but, the, but they are on the stock exchange and they are traded regularly. They average 12% over the last nine years. Some years they earn much higher and some years they lose. But over time, over that 91 year period, throughout that volatility that's gone up and down, it's gone up and down, but as a whole, it's continued to go up. So the 12% rate of return, much higher than that 5% or 7% or 8%, right? Um, large cap stocks, these would be companies that you're familiar with. Uh, Coca-Cola uh, is, is a good one for me to throw out right away. Everybody can relate to that. They're companies that have been around a long time. They're very secure. And, and those types of stocks have returned an average of 10% per year. And I'm a big fan of those. So when you, when you understand that, that that there's a 90 year history here. Um, when you understand the volatility, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want, of, of the markets and how that plays out and the difference between short-term and long-term volatility. But you realize that the rate of return over the long-term is 10%. That can get you where you wanna get a lot quicker than three, four, and 5%. Uh, and what I find is most people, particularly when they're young and they have time on their side, they're afraid because they, we all are, you know, it's kind of like flying, right? You're afraid to go up and fly, but the reality is it's a lot safer to fly and then to get into a car, particularly here in Miami, Florida and drive around. Mm -hmm. um, once we understand that, maybe we get a little more comfortable uh, with flying. And I think the same thing has to do with the, with the stock market. Definitely. And in the kind of finance space lately, there's been a lot um, of conversation about it. And I think it's becoming one of them things that I'm, even more aware of than I previously was, obviously, because I have people around me now investing in stock. It's, it's very interesting. Um, and I would, 
I love if you went into kind of talking about the kind of long-term, short-term kind of volatility of the market. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting topic. The fintech space, the financial space is, is kind of ever-changing, right? So if you'd like to kind of jump into that. Sure, yeah. I mean, most people are, are I find, are, are gun-shy uh, and they're gun-shy of, of investing uh, in the stock market because of the news, because mm -hmm. every day you hear the market's up or the market's down and it's mm -hmm. always whatever's the latest and greatest. And we have all this noise coming at us all the time. Well, well that's what we call short-term volatility. That's what the volatility is today. Um, we know that historically speaking, over the past 91 plus years, we know what the market returns uh, day in and day out. And I just went over those numbers. So on the large cap, it's 10%. So if we're investing and we're investing in the stock market and we're investing long-term and we're investing, let's just say we invest in the S&P 500, and in, we, in index funds. So in other words, we're investing in a, in a mutual fund that's holding the S&P 500. Um, we've got, uh, uh, we're completely dependent upon that, that market. And so that would correlate with this large cap return that I explained before. Um, that's gonna go up and down. It's gonna fluctuate. And so if you're investing in that in the short term, you may have a year where we're down or we're off. If you're investing in the long term, that volatility, those swings of up and down, they begin to kind of minimize over time because we know historically speaking, the average rate of return is 10%. So last year, the market returned well over an excess of 17.5%, depending on how you calculate the return on the S&P 500. Um, that's not to say that that's what'll happen today, tomorrow, or this year, or next year. But I do know that on average, historically speaking, we're looking at 10%. So what I tell people is for your long-term investment, we're not talking about the short-term, that's different, but for the long-term, for the future, uh, for something that you've got at your time horizon is at least five years, and I would say more like seven or more, invest in the stock market, invest in a fund or a multitude of funds that, that are diversified a lot. Again, that's another topic, but um, but it's very important, not investing in one or two companies, but we're investing in a multitude of companies across a, a variety of industries, if you will. Um, and to continue to dollar cost average in that, continue every, every time you get paid, put a percentage of money in there, because when the market's down, that's when you want to buy, right? That's when it's cheap. And when the market's up, that's when you want to sell. Unfortunately, what most people do when they focus on that short-term volatility and they panic, when do they sell? Well, Emily, they sell when the market's down. That's the worst time. That's when you're supposed to be buying. Mm -hmm. And they buy when everybody else is in and the market's up. And so they're paying a premium. So if you're ignoring that and you're just dollar cost averaging in once or twice a month when you get paid, you're going to be buying sometimes at the low, sometimes at the high. And over time, it'll average out that you're going to get a much better value, uh, if you will. And, and so don't, don't pay so much attention to the day-to-day -day noise. I, for long-term investment, I tell people, it, once it's set up, set it and forget it. Review it once, twice a year. Uh, we can rebalance an account and make sure that, that, that the investments are according to what they want to be. But if you have the right plan in place um, to be looking at it every day or every other day or every week, it, it just, it'll stress you out and, and there's just no reason for it. Yeah, definitely. And from a kind of personal perspective, I know people who have invested in stock kind of um, 
in the recent year, kind of like my boyfriend and some friends I have. Um, and I think it's interesting that, um, it's, you know, the people that are doing it now is, is kind of, it's just general public. And a lot of people I know are just doing it. And I think that's an interesting thing that I think maybe, I'm not sure how or why, but over the past year, it kind of expanded a lot um, for people to actually begin investing. So do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I, you know, there's different types of investing. So, um, and, and we call them buckets. So there's different types of buckets. So you, you'd have your one bucket that would have your emergency funds. So that's to cover your living expenses, right? And you'd have another bucket that would be that retirement bucket that we're kind of working to fill up. And then you might have another bucket that's kind of your uh, fund money, um, Vegas style uh, bucket. And um, that could be with playing the market a little bit. And um, I tell people if they want to do that, you can open up a brokerage account. And um, a lot of times people work in a particular industry and they may have a degree of specialty or knowledge about a particular industry and have thoughts and feelings on that. Um, or perhaps uh, there's um, you know, a particular hobby that they have that they really enjoy and they, and they understand and know. Well, th those are great industries, right? To go ahead and look at and research and perhaps maybe make investments in those industries because you have a unique sense or knowledge or under understanding of that. Um, understanding that there's risk related to that and risk is related to reward. So the higher rate of return that you're expecting to get out of that, um, the riskier that investment is going to be uh, and vice versa. The lower rate of return, the lower risk that you should be incurring on that. Mm -hmm. But for sure, and, and I, many of my clients do both. They, they invest with me and the wonderful people that I work with and we manage their, their investments for them. And they also have their own brokerage account on the outside uh, that they play with and, and invest as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, to kind of wrap things up um, as a final question, I was wondering if there's anything else you'd kind of like to add um, and give value to our listeners. I, I think, uh, you know, the one thing that I want to mention is, is when you're trying to figure out with the amount of money to come up with for your retirement, whatever that is, um, take a look at what your, your monthly expenses are. Figure that out and multiply it by, take it your annual number, multiply it by 25. That's typically the amount of money that you would need lump sum to be able to retire on. And, and the way I would elaborate on that is that Trinity University did a study many, many years ago, uh, and they took a look at people that were retiring uh, with their own buckets of money. Um, and they figured out that if they were invested in the stock market and they spent no more than 4% of that total bucket every year, that they had a better, a 95% chance of having that money last for 30 years. So it's just a really easy rule of thumb. So I always tell people, take your annual expenses that are right now and, and what you think they'll be in the future, multiply it by 25, there's your nut, and take that, multiply it by 4%, it should come back to what those annual expenses are. And there you go, there's your bogey. Um, and that's inflation adjusted numbers I'm working with too. So that's a really good rule of thumb to, to use. And, and I find when I tell that to people, they're like, oh, brilliant, I, you know, cause that's the biggest, the biggest challenge you have is to, to kind of come up with what that is. So it's kind of a good rule of thumb to go by and save early and save often and don't sacrifice so much that you're miserable. We only go around once. So enjoy the ride. Very, very important. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think there's some really good 
points to end on there. So I would just like to thank you so much, John, for coming on the FinTech podcast. It's been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your insights. So thank you for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. Take care.